live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. In the 48 years since I was first ambushed by Jesus in a little chapel in the Allegheny Mountains of Western Pennsylvania, and in literally the thousands of hours of prayer, meditation, silence, and solitude over those years, I am now utterly convinced that on Judgment Day, the Lord Jesus is going to ask each of us one question, and only one question. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? That I waited for you day after day? That I longed to hear the sound of your voice? The real believers there will answer, yes, Jesus. I believe in your love and I tried to shape my life as a response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry, in our practice, in our church going, are going to have to reply, <clears throat> well, frankly, no, sir. I mean, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a wonderful, a lot of wonderful sermons and teachings about it. In fact, I gave quite a few myself. But I always thought that was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, some Christian's pious pat on the back to cheer me on. And there's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches across the land. No one can measure like a believer the depth and the intensity of God's love, but at the same time, no one can measure like a believer the effectiveness of our gloom, pessimism, low self-esteem, self-hatred, and despair that block God's way to us. Do you see why it is so important to lay hold of this basic truth of our faith? Because you're only going to be as big as your own concept of God. Remember the famous line of the French philosopher, Blaise Pascal? God made man in his own image, and man returned the compliment. We often make God in our own image, and he wants us to be as fussy, rude, narrow-minded, legalistic, judgmental, unforgiving, unloving as we are. In the past couple of three years, I have preached the gospel to the financial community in Wall Street, New York City, the airmen and women of the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs, a thousand physicians in Nairobi. I've been in churches in Bangor, Maine, Miami, Chicago, St. Louis, Seattle, San Diego, and honest, the God of so many Christians I meet is a God who is too small for me because he is not the God of the Word. He is not the God revealed by and in Jesus Christ who this moment comes right to your seat and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. I know every moment of sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that has darkened your past. Right now I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. 
Well, my guest this week on Voices in My Head has been a guest here before. His name is Matt Litton. He is one of the great authors of our time. If you haven't read anything by him yet, I'm sure you will in the future. He's written books such as Mockingbird Parables, which is a book about to kill a mockingbird. He's also written a book called Holy Nomad, and uh, it's it's one we've actually talked about on this show before. And uh, it's great to have Matt back today. So, Matt Litton, welcome back to Voices in My Head. Hey Rick, how you doing, man? Doing really good. Um, I, I I'm a little bit, uh, you know, a little melancholy for the occasion, actually. I guess because uh, as as well as I'm doing right now, uh, the occasion for this podcast uh, is because uh, one of my favorite authors, one of your favorite authors, and just someone that I think probably thousands of people would say was sort of a mentor, passed away just very recently. Uh, Brennan Manning, who died on April 12th of 2013. So we thought we might do a little podcast uh, and talk about Brennan Manning, kind of what he had, uh, maybe some of the things he had done, some of the, the ways that he was important to us personally. And Matt has a great article that he wrote about the passing of Brennan Manning and just kind of his influence, and they put it up on the Huffington Post this week. So uh, while I'm here with Matt today, we're going to have Matt actually read that article, kind of letting the uh, the author read his own words today. So, uh, so before we get to that, um, I actually put out a question of the week just a few minutes ago for this podcast that listeners are able to answer, Matt. And uh, do you have a favorite book by Brennan Manning or even a quote? Uh, I know quotes are harder to get off the top of your head, but anything like that that just comes to mind is maybe your favorite Brennan Manning? You know what? I I have a book. Um, you, when you, you and I talked a little bit earlier today about Brennan Manning and, and, and his influence in our lives, and, and I went downstairs to the basement to my shelf and, and was kind of looking around. I have a book that my wife gave me in uh, – uh, August of '03, um, and it's a it's a book called Ruthless Trust, um, mm. and I think that was probably my favorite. It's just a really beautiful book, and, and it's interesting because he connects this um, he connects self pity to, to, to selfishness in a way in in in, in, a, in a way that only Brent Manning could do. Yeah, um, and uh, it just it was really powerful for me to read. It had a foreword by Richard Foster, who who uh, uh, did the the, the Disciplines book. And I think that was my favorite for a long time, and I know everybody loves the ragamuffin gospel. Um, but but my favorite, probably about a year and a half ago, I guess, in fact, I got it the fall that I was writing uh, uh, Holy Nomad, uh, a friend of mine who's a publicist sent me a review copy of his uh, final memoir, and it's called All His Grace. And he's so forthcoming in this book about mm. his, his struggles with alcoholism and I think you and I, Rick, we went to the same college, and, and probably I don't know if you remember he he did chapel services there, hmm. um, and I, I had an opportunity to see him preach there, and, and I think he really traveled the country and, and did you know did revivals everywhere. But you know, in the book, uh, in, in his final memoir, he talked about going through a period where he would do these revivals and then go back to his hotel room and drink himself to sleep, hmm. um, and really brutally honest uh, in this book. But he but he also shared all these. Um, he shared his uh, his his moments of transformation um, and moments of brokenness in in this final memoir, probably um, in a more powerful way than than all of his books. And I've always loved Brendan Manning because he was a guy. You know, a lot of the guys that that we we like to read, they're not necessarily the best writers. I know a lot when we talk about Christian writers, I like their ideas a lot, but 
this guy went to Missouri um, to study journalism. I mean, he was just gifted with words. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always just taken with him. Um, he, he's he's not just one of my favorite Christian writers. He's one of my all-time favorite writers. Sure. So I, I'm sorry. I could go. I could. No, go no. <laughs> but, but do you have a what, what book jumped out at you? I mean, what what's the one that you kind of hold on to? Well, I I too did the same thing, and but I didn't actually need to go to my bookshelf to to know which one it was. Uh, his book, The Signature of Jesus. Um, has and I think I have just about every book he ever wrote, um, maybe except for his memoir. And I and I know that um, that that one is fantastic. But um, the signature of Jesus, I actually I remembered it being very special to me when I found it. Um, and, and I was going through some really tough things. I was you know working in a church that I um, honestly I felt like the the church where I was it was not a good fit for me. But I really felt like we were missing out on the gospel completely, you know, and uh, and I and I started with ragamuffin gospel, probably like everybody does, but then I I followed it up with the signature of Jesus, and I was just looking through tonight as I grabbed my copy of the book, and um, and I, and it, and I just wrote little notes inside of the book, and I was trying to think, I wonder if there's like a favorite quote, and the whole front cover of the book is just like. Uh, notes to page 72, you know, and I have a note about that, page 81, page 106, page 107, page 113, page 121, page 150, you know, like all the things that I wanted to make sure I went back and read again because they were so good. And I had a note in there about, you know, I, it's rare that I will write inside of a book that this book has changed me. But that's basically what I had written to myself inside of this book. Like God was, God's timing was in this book, you know, me finding it. And, uh, and I feel the same way. Um, I, I, I just feel like he has such an incredible way with words. And as a songwriter, you know, I strive to have that with words, but, um, you know, it, it's amazing. Uh, some of the ways that he could, could turn a phrase um, and maybe I should give a, a quick example of that, because um, I have the book right in front of me that I'm, I'm kind of looking at, and uh, and I had the page marked, and now I can't find it. Let's see. Well, um, I've got I, I have a quote from uh, I was just I, I have a ruthless trust with me, great, and I have a bunch of pages earmarked, and there came across a line that says, uh, you know, wallowing in, wallowing in shame, remorse, self-hatred, and guilt over real or imagined failings in our past lives betrays a distrust in the love of God. And he just kind of getting to the theme of, of his Ruthless Trust book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the beautiful thing about I mean, it, it, it just, and, and I really meditated this uh, on this over the weekend and, and had reviewed his book before, his, his final book, but that's kind of what I was writing about. Um, in the Huffington Post article, did sure. you find your quote? I did actually, because this was something that that was so bold. He he was a very bold writer in things that he would say, and and he he really made me um, think about much more deeply my actions and and especially our actions as Christians. And uh, in chapter four, right right at the beginning of the chapters, "Fools for Christ" is the name of the book. And he says, to be in the world but not of the world implies that a Christian is not influenced and intimidated by the values of our American culture. Isn't that an absurd proposition? Whether we like it or not, our very membership in Western society imprisons us in a set of political, economic, social, and spiritual principles that shape our lifestyles even when we don't subscribe to it. Several years ago, the front page of the New York Times showed a nine-year-old Vietnamese girl running towards us her flesh aflame from napalm. 
A few years later, papers printed the picture of the seven-year-old Libyan girl crawling toward a Red Cross shelter, both of her feet amputated by one of our precision bombs. And then this is the part that really stood out. He said, we may weep at such sights, but our taxes by the weapons that bring them about. And, um, you know, he was very good about calling out our culture and calling out our Christianity and um, and I think exposing it for the lack of Christness that's in it sometimes, and uh, and and yet there was such compassion in his writing. Um, I, I I got to go to a I, I don't actually remember him coming to Trevecca while I was there, but just a few years ago I was able to go to a retreat with him in Cincinnati. Um, I, I, it's not necessarily like a retreat, like you know where it was. Me and five or six other people. It was like a hundred people there, um, but it was a weekend gathering for about three days, and uh, and I remember experiencing some real healing. Um, not like he laid his hands on me or something, but the the words that he brought, the words from God to us, and and like you said, in his own brokenness, uh, I was very broken myself, and I remember. Um, these words just being very formative in in my own healing uh, and God doing some really amazing stuff in my own life. So, um, I, I think everybody that I meet, you know, we, I think one of, one of the big problems in in, in our, our our cultural faith um, is that, that we have this economy view of God. You know, that if I do this and this and this, um, and I think He really destroyed that. You know what I mean with everything yeah. that He wrote. Um, and you can see his influence. I, I see his influence in, in guys like Rob Bell and Erwin McManus and this whole new generation of people who are kind of shaping the way we talk about faith. Um, it's pretty cool. Mm. Well, um, I, what I'd like to do, uh, again, I mentioned it earlier, but you wrote a really nice article that is featured on the Huffington Post. And I would love to just hear that in your own words. I always love it when uh, authors, you know, I kind of get to hear them. I always enjoy it if I'm listening to a book occasionally, if the author actually reads it himself because he knows exactly how he wanted to say it. So um, without any further hesitation, if you don't mind, uh, would you mind reading that article for us about Brennan Manning? And I think it will help maybe some people who haven't heard him before. Uh, to maybe want to reach out and, and grab for one of his books now. Okay. Um, it's uh, it's titled, In a Self-Righteous Re- uh, Religious Culture, Brennan Manning Reminded Us That All is Grace. The news of Brennan Manning's death last Friday left me reminiscing about the first time I heard him speak 20 years ago at a college chapel. He bounced around the stage with a shock of white hair, the most god-awful scotch plaid sport coat ever blended in a mill, all paired with polyester green pants that didn't come close to matching. I recalled his illustration of an old preacher who delivered a defining moment in his journey by telling him, be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. Manning appeared to be a guy who was okay, just being who he was. I've never forgotten his call to honesty and transparency in the powerful moments of that sermon. Manning's message assaulted the foundations of my young religious worldview. I was schooled in a world of piousness and religiosity that often left me working to appear, to talk, to act a certain way in an effort to feel accepted by God. He spoke to the many of us who were taught that a relationship with God was something that we earned. His message was a dynamite to crack the religious veneer of the workspace faith that had separated us from the truth of the gospel message. His thesis was clear. It was simple. It was explosive. 
God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. Hmm. I opened the pages of Manny's final book, All His Grace, a ragamuffin memoir, when I received a review copy several falls ago. I read it again this past weekend with a new sense of sadness and nostalgia. My proclivity for Manning grew in the years after college when I began to understand that he had a talent for shaping words that most authors simply do not possess. Many of his books affected the same damage on my misguided approach to earning God's love. But in retrospect, his final book did what the rest of his writing was never really equipped to do. It asserted Manning's message of God's grace with more power and certainty than anything he had ever penned. You see, in a religious culture that demands we put our best foot forward, in a popular culture where our self-righteous egos have grown digital skin and take on a life of their own, Manning reminded us in his last writings that grace can only come through the dirt and mire of transparency and confession. Through his own candid admissions and all his grace, he pointed to the truth that we, if we are to grasp the depths of God's love, we must first be who he is before him and our community. Manning's memoir is a must-read for anyone who has ever enjoyed his writing or preaching. It's an honest portrait and an enthralling story. He writes of his lifelong battle with alcoholism, the pain of his strained relationship with his mother, his time in the military and in the Little Brothers of Jesus, the disapproval of his family and the Catholic Church, and his shortcomings as a husband. There was a sadness as I read his familiar voice and beautifully crafted words this weekend and realized that he would never write again. I mourned, not for the author, but for those who have spent their lives scoffing at his ministry, dismiss, dismissing his ideas as, about God as cheap grace. If there was anything cheap about his message, I question why we can never quite get our minds around it. I'm left with the feeling that this grace, that is the central theme of Manning's life work, is too vulgar, too ridiculous not to be true. Hmm. Manning ended all his grace by explaining that he was living out his days in hospice with a full-time caregiver but he communicated a profound sense of peace in those final words that somehow, through his transparency and confession, he had fallen deeper into the arms of the one who truly loves him as he is, not as he should be, because he was never who he should have been. On Saturday, when I heard the news of his passing, I was left feeling that he is now completely submerged in the scandalous love that he has enabled so many of us to discover through the years. God bless you, Brendan Manning. The candid story of your life will prove more lasting and deeply affecting than all of your best-selling books and successful preaching. Your confessions have given us strength and provided undeniable witness to God's unfailing love. Your mission has been accomplished. Hmm. That was great, Matt. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, as I was listening and, and you know hearing you read that again, uh, it reminded me of you were telling me earlier that you know a lot of uh, Brennan Manning kind of went into your latest book, Holy Nomad. And, uh, when, when you, when he, one thing about Brennan Manning I remember very clearly, um, was the idea of the false self and mm -hmm. the, the self that doesn't exist. And, you know, that, that we can spend all of our time trying to create this false self, but God just doesn't even see it because that person is not there. And, uh, it reminded me a little bit of, uh, uh, when you talk about the Facebook page that for fun, you and I think your brother-in-law made of, was it Ronaldo, uh, the, yeah. the character in your book? And, you know, you, you made this person on Facebook who had, 
um, had done amazing, incredible feats, climbed mountains and, you know, just done all kinds of things that, that no mortal man could do probably. Um, and, you know, he was friending people and whatever, but he was just a fictional person. And, um, so one thing that I was reminded of as you were reading that is that that was one of Brennan Manning's heartbeat things. And I think why he was so effective was, uh, he just didn't seem to be dishonest about who he was and who he was in Christ and he was such a reminder that you know that false self is not something God sees and it's not something God exists so so lay it bare because God loves us like you said a couple times there um not uh not who we should be but who we are so um and I I think I said that wrong but <laughs> yeah and well you know the 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 Ronaldo thing from the book was was very you know Brennan Manning really hits the ego hard you know um, of the false self and the ego and he writes so much about that and and I think it's hilarious that that you know here we are our, our culture becomes more and more ego driven the more digital we go you know um, and like you and I have discussed before you you know, when you have a fight with your wife you never post that on Facebook publicly <laughs> and we you know we have these Facebook personas that are they are our ego and and you know the, the same with that kind of stuff but. You know, I think you and I were talking earlier, too. I think this thing that really shaped um, – Brendan Manning came into my last book. Uh, I was writing about this idea that Jesus is always calling us from the dead places in our life. Um, and, you know, I had this realization over and over again that there are folks that won't come out of those dead places. And I think Brendan Manning would say and, – and I really had to wrestle with this and end the book saying that, that Jesus stays there with those people um, and that, you know – what I was writing about in Holy Nomad, the, the, this this joy, um, this the, the the real life, eternal life that Jesus is talking about here and now, um, you know, I think I think you can go through life and not experience that and still be with God in heaven. I mean, that, that's 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 kind of I think what Brennan Manning's message would have been that Jesus just stays with these people um, who can't overcome um, difficulty and stuff like that. So I don't know. But the the message I, I I think you and I both you know have gone through things where that message of grace has been really powerful in our lives. So. Mm-hmm. Sure, and I and I always you know I think if if you could probably criticize him for a few things if you really wanted to I I but one thing that seemed like people that I knew at least in in you know the tradition I come from they always wanted to. Uh, accuse him like you had said of cheap grace you know and and he and he just wasn't he wasn't at all and I, I even had friends ask me does he ever write about repentance you know <laughs> in these books because he's just all about the love of God and and they're actually um what and it may have been in ruthless trust where he really does hit home on this idea of this is not cheap grace you know this idea of really repenting before God and um, I, I think it's a tragic thing too. You know, you were talking about his memoirs, and I, I really want to read that. I've had other people tell me about it, but um, as much as he, in in the signature of Jesus, would talk about community and the importance of community and those accountability times and stuff, uh, what a sad thing that you know he would would go from these revival times and all the traveling that he would do and. Um, you know, would drink himself to sleep at night or would, uh, you know, as he talks about, I did read enough of his memoir to know that, uh, you know, he went through a divorce after he had, you know, he had taken such a step and taken so much criticism from the Catholic Church when he felt like God was leading him to get married and then uh, to to have that marriage fail as well. Um, you know, really 
just tough stuff. This guy was a broken man, but it was really in his brokenness that I think God used him. And and if you could ever see maybe Scripture come to life, um, that his strength is perfect when ours is gone, I, I think there was just something about who Christ was that shone out of this very broken man. You know, I, I when when you say that, I think of uh, Over the Rhine's got a song where they sing, All My Favorite People Are Broken. Yeah. And, and I think the, the the great thing, some of the most spiritual people that I know, I mean, some of the most grace-filled people I know are those people who are broken, mm. you know, the people who are weighed down with an addiction or the people who, you know, have had three or four divorces or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's some real truth to that. The people who, uh, 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 the people who need God's grace know God's grace, and, and those are cool people to be around, you know? Um and I think that's one of the things that made him special, you know. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know if he could have written what what he wrote if he hadn't had this battle with, you know, a disease like alcoholism. And so. Well, I and I and I am so grateful. He's one of the people in my life that um, when, when I was so incredibly broken, when when I was going through a divorce, um, you know, almost half a decade ago now. Um, it was people like him, especially Brennan Manning, spending some time with him. It was almost like at times I felt like Brennan was in the room with me, <laughs> you know, uh, and that's, that seemed really weird and mystical to say that, and I, I don't really feel like he was, but there was this sense of which this guy is so broken, I needed somebody like him there with me. Like, I just didn't know anybody that broken that was as broken as I was. And uh, and I and I found through him and the influence that he had, being so transparent to help others with the same weaknesses, that I in turn was able to begin, you know, talking about my own, you know, places that I was broken, and it would lead me to other people who were going through the exact same thing. And it's amazing how God will use those wounds to bring healing to others. Um, and, and it even happened just again recently. Uh, um, Someone very close to me is uh, is going through something very similar of what I went through a few years ago, and uh, there's just something about the way that God will use our pain and our brokenness so much more than our charisma and our talent. That's very true. You know, the the, the thing about the thing about Manning that I love too is that I, I just I feel like he's one of those voices. Um, you know, I, you and I are both raised in the church, and so I think we we kind of can get used to this message and the words become familiar and the message and, and he's this guy that's standing up there and saying, No, wait a minute, you really don't get this. Yeah. You know? You you don't get it. I mean <laughs> um and, and I mean he's say he, he's say, he's saying about he's saying this about salvation and grace and, and, and and that's his message over and over and over again in the books. You don't get how scandalous this is. You really don't get it and and uh and Gosh, I mean, it just it, it, if if you go back and look at Jesus' conversation with the Pharisees, I mean, it's I mean, it's that's that's like Manning's message. It's awesome. Yeah, so. it really is. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and and having this little discussion with me. I kind of wanted to do something just kind of in tribute to Brendan Manning, and uh, he was a, a real influence. And as I think about it more all the time, it, it's been a while since I've read anything by him. Uh, but for a while there, man, it was like I just got every book I could because it just felt like there was this uh, this God place inside of me, this hole that seemed like God was speaking to him to help fill with me. And uh, so I, I appreciate that so much. Thanks for coming and having this discussion tonight. And um, 
And please, listeners, make sure you check out the writings of Matt Litton, uh, who is a great writer himself. I've really enjoyed his books, and uh, I, I think you're going to really benefit from them as well. MattLitton.com, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, anything else you want to share while I have you on the line here tonight? No, I, I think, you know what, I, I, I highly recommend that people run out and get a copy of, uh, of uh, All is Grace, Manning's, uh, Manning's uh, memoir. Great book. Um, and 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 check out uh, check out uh, basement songs. Pretty awesome stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much for that plug. And I and I just finished the first draft of uh, of basement psalms, the book. So uh, That's awesome. I'm I'm really excited about that too. So one of these days, hopefully, I'll be able to say I'm an author too. So <laughs> we'll see how it goes. That would be cool. But, well, Matt, thank you so much for being one of the voices in my head this week. Thanks for having me on, Rick. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me and my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. And I'd love this to be a community experience. So if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.